Since COVID-19 first emerged in Wuhan province in late 2019, China has pursued an aggressive containment policy. It's shut entire provinces, it's barred travel, banned people from leaving their homes, and at time made those testing positive quarantine at special facilities rather than at home. The effect quickly crushed the first outbreak and largely kept numbers low. By March 2020, China had recorded just over 70,000 COVID-19 cases. By March 2022, that number had only risen to 112,000. Then, in the first 20 days of December 2022, China may have had as many as 250 million COVID infections alone. That's according to a leaked memo from top health officials, according to Bloomberg News. Officials in Beijing insist that everything is under control, but reports from hospitals in parts of the country show overwhelmed wards. Satellite images show long lines of traffic at crematoriums in the capital. Head of the Health Commission for Henan province said that he estimated that 90% of the central region's 99.4 million residents had COVID-19 as of January 6th, 2023. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, and this week we're looking at what's happened in China as it removed most of its COVID rules and what that means for the rest of the world. Before we start, if you want to get the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they come out, then just hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We sat down with Tarek Yasarovich from the WHO to understand what's happening in China. Well, uh, China was uh, introducing very strict measures at the beginning of the pandemic of COVID-19. And uh, that was very much understandable at that time because it was a new virus. The mortality and hospitalization rate were very high. Uh, people did not have uh, any immunity against SARS-CoV-2. So it was understandable that China and other countries uh, uh, were trying to buy time by introducing strict measures. By the end of 2022, China was starting to look out of step with much of the world. While many of us lived through quite severe COVID restrictions through large parts of 2020, 2021 and even parts of early 2022, the world had started to open up and put the pandemic behind it. As of September, air traffic was back to over 70% of the pre-2019 levels, the global airline body IATA reported. But not China. In China, millions still lived in lockdown as Beijing maintained a zero-COVID policy. In October 2022, 28 cities across China had some form of lockdown, affecting 207 million people and spanning an area responsible for almost a quarter of China's GDP. What we have seen at the beginning of last year, 2022, uh, was uh, emergence of Omicron. Omicron uh, is much more transmissible uh, than previous variant, but at the same time is causing less severe disease. So in the situation where you have less severe disease, more transmissibility, and where we already had a, a proportion of uh, people having immunity either through vaccination or through previous infection, uh, we were saying that uh, countries have to have an agile uh, attitude and try really to balance between public health benefits and having society being functional. And therefore, uh, a model of zero COVID was not maybe the right choice anymore. 
at the moment, once we had uh, Omicron and we had the vaccines at our disposal. So that model that uh, uh, was not uh, sustainable long uh, term was uh, sort of relaxed now by China, which uh, uh, expectedly led to new wave of cases. China's policy had a huge economic impact. The full tally is hard to estimate accurately, but officials say that the three-year travel restrictions between the mainland China and Hong Kong had cost $27 billion. China was aiming for 5.5% growth in 2022. It achieved more like 3.2%, a difference of over $384 billion. The World Bank placed this slowdown largely on the impact of COVID-19. But President Xi Jinping maintained that zero COVID was still the most cost-effective policy in dealing with the matter. And then the government did an about-turn. Protests broke out in many cities across the country and people were demanding a change in the rules. Two weeks later, the government lifted lockdowns. Soon after, they dropped travel bans and ended curbs on face-to-face meetings. After nearly three years, China ended most of its COVID rules, almost overnight. And then came a wave of infections. One major issue in talking about all of this, though, is questions over the data. We believe that the, the current numbers being, being published from, from China underrepresent the true impact of the disease in terms of hospital admissions, in terms of uh, ICU admissions, and particularly in terms of deaths. That's Michael Ryan, the WHO's Executive Director for Health Emergencies, talking in early January 2023. And he's not alone. Here's WHO head Dr Tedros Gabriasis. We continue to ask China for more rapid, regular, reliable data on hospitalizations and deaths, as well as more comprehensive real-time viral sequencing. But what were the numbers? Well, despite the reports and talks of hundreds of millions of cases, officially, China reported just 13 deaths in December and only about 5,000 cases a day. So how come? Well, China has largely stopped mass testing and was only recording positive cases in hospitals and fever clinics where patients were also presenting COVID symptoms. How China records COVID deaths also differs from the WHO guidelines used in much of the world. Saying someone died of COVID-19 isn't all that straightforward. People can die of organ failure, of septic shock, of respiratory failure, of blood clots, strokes. Obesity, diabetes, ill health can all contribute. There are whole scientific studies just into the ways that COVID-19 can kill you. So many who die of COVID-19 have it noted as an underlying cause defined by the WHO guidelines as a disease or injury which initiates the train of morbid events leading directly to death, or the circumstances of the accident or violence which produced the fatal injury. That's not how China is logging deaths from COVID-19. Instead, China is logging just people who die directly from respiratory failure caused by the coronavirus. And understandably, that number is much lower. So what are the estimates? UK-based health data firm Affinity estimate that at least 9,000 people a day were dying in China. According to their models, China reached an infection peak on January 13th with 3.7 million cases a day 
and will peak with 25,000 deaths a day on January 23rd. By the end of April 2023, Affinity say that 1.7 million people could be dead from COVID-19 in China. To overcome challenges with recording deaths in many different countries and managing how records are kept in emergencies and just simply from mistakes, many researchers and governments have stopped looking at the recorded cause of death and instead are looking at excess mortality. This is looking at how many deaths there were over the expected number if the pandemic had never happened. In effect, how many people died compared to a normal period. Dr. Wei Zhenyo, China's top epidemiologist, has said that the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention plans to shift to using excess mortality models and that that will take some time to compile and analyze. Now, it's important to note that this isn't a China-specific issue. As countries have dropped mandated testing and ended pandemic protocols, there just isn't the same amount of data on how many cases there are as maybe there was a year or so ago. And this has global repercussions. Here's Tarek again. We are in contact uh, with the Chinese authorities. We have meetings at a technical level. We keep asking uh, China to provide uh, data, uh, not only on cases and, uh, and deaths, but also on hospitalization, uh, on uh, intensive care unit admissions. And really equally important uh, is to continue to do a, a genetic sequence of the virus because uh, we really need to know if there are any new variants emerging, uh, are there any changes uh, to uh, to the virus. But this really uh, is not only the case with China. This is the case with all the countries. We want countries to continue surveillance. So we know what's happening with the virus. We know where the waves are, are coming. And we have seen in December increase by almost 25% in cases, and that's all around the world, comparing to the previous month, November 2022. In response to the China outbreak, countries around the world have implemented new travel restrictions on people arriving from China. Beijing has criticised this as discriminatory, and it's again raised questions about how we deal with outbreaks and new variants, depending on where they are. When the UK variant was discovered in December 2020, there were travel bans, but these were short-lived and largely imposed by concerned neighbours rather than imposed by many countries around the world. When Omicron started spreading in South Africa in late 2021, dozens of countries put in place travel restrictions on large parts of Southern Africa that lasted for months. Here's Roland Cow, Professor of Epidemiology and Data Science at the University of Edinburgh. I think one of the most important things to remember is that the moment we don't actually do a lot to control COVID-19 within the UK. And so the extra numbers of infected individuals we are picking up um, from these additional travels in China is going to be relatively small to the, compared to the amount of circulation of virus we get in the country. I think we really need the baseline data as much as we can to understand what's happening, what's entering the country. So, you know, for myself, I would be in favor of collecting that data by having um, passengers arriving internationally get lateral flow tests. If you have a positive test, get have a PCR test done so we can get the information we need to understand what's happening. That isn't going to prevent the spread of the infection. Okay, we'll get far too few that way, but it will give us the data to understand what's going on, to understand what's coming into the country, and whether or not we should be concerned about new variants arising uh, or arriving from elsewhere. Even WHO Europe director Hans Kluger isn't too worried about arrivals from China. We share the current view 
of the European Center for Disease Control, ECDC, that the ongoing surge in China is not anticipated to significantly impact the COVID-19 epidemiological situation in the WHO European region at this time. So scientifically, there is no immediate threat for the European region at this point in time, based on the information we have from China, because the variants which are circulating in China are those also circulating in Europe. However, it is important to keep public health confidence by the population. We do acknowledge that a number of countries, based on the precautionary principle, are implementing some measures while we anticipate more information to be shared available at public databases. But it's very important that those measures, those precautionary measures, are based on science, are proportionate and particularly are non-discriminatory. So how did things in China get out of hand so quickly? Well, WHO data shows that as countries remove restrictions, there are often an increase in cases of COVID-19. After all, most countries apply these measures like a break to slow down the spread of infections and prevent healthcare systems from being overrun, rather than attempting to stop COVID-19 entirely. China, of course, was slightly different in that respect. But so too were they in removing the restrictions very quickly after a long period of shutdown. That means there isn't a sizable portion of your population with natural immunities, having recently had it over time, as there might be in somewhere like the UK, where about 1 in 20 people in England were testing positive in December. A number that's been fairly consistent through the year. While China says that about 90% of its population is vaccinated against COVID-19, that doesn't tell us the whole story. About 76% of China's population over 80 years old had a first dose by November 2022. And about 65% had a second dose. That's a little bit above the global average. But only about 40% of this most vulnerable group has received a booster shot as of November 2022. And within that, there's also another issue. Firstly, many of those shots were received more than a year ago, and research does seem to suggest that the effects of the vaccine wane over time. And second, China has only approved the Chinese-made Sinovac and Sinopharm vaccines. Studies have also suggested that they prove less effective against the currently most prevalent Omicron variant of COVID-19. So you've gone three years trying to prevent the spread at all costs, so natural immunities are low, you're using vaccines that may not be as effective against the current dominant strain as other options, and many had their vaccinations over a year ago, so immunity may have waned. This, in effect, has made something of a perfect storm. What does this mean then for the global situation? other than for travellers? Well, other than the humanitarian situation for those in China, the big question for health officials and researchers is about the emergence of new variants. With so many new infections, has COVID-19 changed or mutated? If so, will this changed variant be more infectious than Omicron? Will it evade current vaccines? Will it be more deadly? So far, there's no indication this has happened. Here's Dr. Kluger again. But we cannot be complacent. While we acknowledge that China has been sharing virus sequencing information, 
we need detailed and regular information, especially on local epidemiology and variants to better ascertain the evolving situation. While we're in a totally different position than we were in March 2020 with vaccines and treatments, the situation in China is a good reminder that COVID isn't gone and the pandemic isn't over. There are still risks. The idea that over a million people could die in the coming months in China is also a good reminder for people who think that COVID is basically just like the common cold these days. Here's Tarek again. Well, we are all a little bit tired of, of COVID-19 and, and we, it's understandable that people want to move on with their lives and it's understandable that countries want to open up. And this is what we were saying about China uh, as well. Uh, but but virus is still there and it will not disappear just because we want it to disappear. Uh, there are still 10,000 people dying every week of COVID-19. And this is certainly underestimate because of the uh, under-testing that we were just uh, uh, talking about. So, so we all need to be aware that the virus is still there. It's a dangerous virus. It is still a virus that is changing, and we don't know which way it can go. So therefore, we need countries still to be vigilant, still to monitor the situation. And we need people also to do everything they can to try to avoid transmission because a virus can still have a, a really devastating effect, especially on a vulnerable, unvaccinated groups in parts of the world where vaccination coverage is still low. Could China have done things differently? Could they have prevented this massive wave? Potentially, maybe slower, more phased reopening could have spread the wave over time. Here's Tarek. Let's look at the pandemic in the last three years. I mean, there is no country that has done a perfect job. And, and every country at some point was in a difficult situation. And when, when you are in a difficult situation, when you have a lot of cases, the reporting becomes more complicated. And we have seen in the past that, and this is why countries are right now negotiating a pandemic treaty as something that will really, all countries will commit to make things better next time. So it's not about really uh, finger pointing. Uh, it's about really trying to do the best we can. And, and WHO stands ready to assist every country. Dr. Roland Cow in Edinburgh points out that while the global situation is different today, the situation in China is a reminder of the actions you can take, whether in the UK, the UAE or anywhere, to help keep ourselves and others safe. The numbers of people getting vaccinated now are lower than they were in previous waves, uh, but they're still relatively high. All right. So, so you know, uh, absolutely um, encourage people to get their vaccinations if they can. Um, but that isn't everything. We know the number of people in hospitals are going up, people with COVID. You add on to the number of people in hospitals with flu, with other infections like RSV. And what this results in is a, a really, really high number of people, a real stress on the capacity of the NHS. And we know there are lots of other systemic problems which we're dealing with. Thanks this week to Tarek Yasarovich and all the experts we heard from in this episode. We were produced by Arthur Edison, Dua Farid and Thomas Smith. I'm James Haynes-Young and thanks for listening to Beyond the Headlines. If you want to get all the latest episodes as soon as they drop, just hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you can leave us a review while you're there, it really helps. 